Where is everybody? They're working on the new album. They think they can simplify uh, what I was doing and release it so uh, to satisfy the record company. Smiley smile. so many aspects of the Smile album and the elements and, and all the things that made up the record that he just, uh, he had to, to just let it go because it came at a time when Brian was just really finding it difficult to stay focused. He wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it, it wasn't fulfilling him, it was painful, so uh, we made Smiley Smile instead. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. How's everybody doing? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for making me part of your day. If you are just joining us for the first time, well, welcome in to the family. I started this show in 2017, and along with some help from my friends, I'm working my way through the entire career of America's band, our band, the Beach Boys. Day by day and note by note, As you probably know, today we are talking about the 1967 LP, Smiley Smile. First up, I would like to hear from you guys by way of a couple emails. This first one is from Richard. Hey Wyatt, I'm Richard and I live in Southern California and I'm 20 years old and I love the Beach Boys. But then again, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I first encountered the boys by hearing I Get Around in the first Just Dance video game. You heard me right, you can dance to I Get Around in a video game. Then I heard I Get Around yet again in an animated show on Cartoon Network called Regular Show. I soon heard Wouldn't It Be Nice and I loved that of course. And that's all I really heard from the boys at the time. Then California Girls crept up sometime in 2015, and I fell in love with that. Then the big one hit. I was laying on my grandma's bed, listening to rock on YouTube. Then I see in the recommendations, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. I listened to it, and I felt like Brian came down from God knows where and blessed me himself. It was love at first sight. I could not get enough of Good Vibrations. I legitimately listened to it non-stop straight for a day and a half shortly after the first listen. And to this day it remains my favorite song, and arguably the greatest song of all time. This past year I discovered the almighty pet sounds and thought I should give it a shot, and it was glorious. I had to re-listen to Don't Talk because it was so captivating, and I legitimately teared up the second time. It was beautiful and ethereal, as you said. I'm slowly working my way up through the albums. Smiley Smile deserves more praise for what it is. Yeah, it may be watered down smile, but a lot of the reworkings work really well in my opinion, and Little Pad is a hidden gem. Keep up the great work, boys, and I can't wait for the episode discussing Brian's greatest effort, Smart Girls. He sure does love those sexy legs and high IQs. Richard Romero. Thanks for the email, Richard. I love how the Beach Boys music pops up in all these random places. I remember hearing I Get Around on Fly to the Navigator when I was a kid, also, I remember hearing Good Vibrations on a Sunkiss commercial when I was very young. And although it was a strange reimagining by studio musicians, it was still really awesome and it left an impression on me. Okay, next up, an email from Thomas. Hey, Wyatt just discovered the podcast. Thanks for getting me through my work day. It's fantastic. When I was a freshman in college, we had to write papers on why an act was popular. The Beach Boys was the only cool choice that was left on the board as I chose last. Thank God. It got me into the band real hard and immediately Pet Sounds was my favorite album. I became obsessed. I even watched the Beach Boys full house episodes. At the height of my obsession, the Smile Sessions was released and it's like I died and went to heaven. I've since reconstructed my own Heroes and Villains track, complete with I'm in Great Shape and Barnyard. I love the pod, only recently got into it during a swing of my obsession. But I gotta say, the last eight years of archival releases have really been amazing for me, and nothing beats Bruce's vocal on Lonely Days from the 1967 Sunshine Tomorrow album. 
All three of the 67 Sunshine albums are my favorite, and I can't wait until you dig deep into them, as it's my favorite year of Beach Boys. Wild Honey and Smiley Smile, as well as the Smile Sessions, are my favorite Beach Boys albums. Anyway, keep doing what you do. You guys are great. I totally agree that How She Boogalooed It is terrible. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Thomas. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that with us. And you don't have to wait much longer because the time is now. This year, we are going to be talking Smiley Smile and Wild Honey and Friends and everything in between. So it's going to be fun. Throwing rhymes like Geronimo's tomahawk. Throwing rhymes like Geronimo's tomahawk. April 1967. With the Smile album sessions at an apparent standstill, the Beach Boys embarked on a tour of the U.S., which would cover the eastern seaboard, where they shared the stage with acts such as The Left Bank and Tommy James, among others. For the first time in the States, a mini orchestra accompanied the group. Bruce Johnston told a reporter, Our biggest problem on stage had been the actual reproduction of our record sounds. We have solved this problem by bringing our entire band with us on this trip. The tour got off to a rough start on April 13th in my very hometown of Starkville, Mississippi. Crazy. They had two of their guitars stolen at this show. Steve Korthoff began shouting and cursing as he was arrested by local police. The group had to bail him out of jail that night. On the 20th, the group performed in Richmond, Kentucky, where they arrived in the late afternoon and took part in a pickup softball game with local students. Bruce told the local paper that he was too worn out from touring to take part in the game, but added, this is one of the high points of our trip. For once, we were able to carry on normal communication with people. This is what we missed the most, the chance to lead normal lives and enjoy the things other people are able to take part in. On April 25th, they were preceded in White Plains, New York by a local band called Chain Reaction, which featured a young, talented singer by the name of Steven Tyler, who, of course, would go on to form Aerosmith very soon after. The tour went pretty well. The band, sometimes performing up to three shows in a single day, got rave reviews. The Daily Illini wrote, While it is difficult to perform some of their more recent hits without the added electrical gimmicks of a recording studio, the fine job they did on such songs as Good Vibrations, Wouldn't It Be Nice, and God Only Knows practically brought the crowd to their feet. However, before their gig in New York City on April 26th, Carl was arrested by FBI agents and charged with draft evasion. He posted bail and was released in time for the show. However, his status for the upcoming European tour was in serious doubt. I got a notice to report for, for physical. And it was just one of those things that I never got around to thinking about or making a move on because I, I just never came up, you know. And it came up. And so I thought, okay, now what is my position on this? And I just applied for conscientious objector on religious grounds. The final show of the U.S. tour was Newark, New Jersey with the Buckinghams. Dennis was particularly stressed out by what Carl was going through. The opening act, the Doughboys, asked permission to use Dennis's drums. And during their set, the drummer went wild and knocked them over. Dennis raced on stage in a rage and attacked frontman Mike. The curtains closed and the fight got even worse. The two traded punches until they were pulled apart by their respective crews. Members of the audience were shocked. Guitarist Carl Giamarese of the Buckingham said, Dennis could be a really nice guy sometimes, but he had a split personality. Carl appeared before a judge in LA the next day to receive permission to go to Europe. He pleaded innocent to the charge and was ordered to appear in court on June 20th. He was allowed to go to Europe after posting a $25,000 bond. Carl dropped another five grand on a private plane to Dublin to make it in time for their double header. But he didn't make it in time for the first show, and the band was forced to play without him. After a few songs, the crowd was chanting, We want Carl! We want Carl! The group did their best to make it through their normal set, but when they got to God Only Knows, things did not go well. Ray Coleman of Disc and Music Echo wrote, This was a brave, misguided failure. Bruce forgot the words. To say it was an embarrassment would be minimizing an electrifyingly disastrous moment. It should not have happened. It was utterly unbelievable that any member of a group reckoned by some to be the world's number two could not know the words of any part of their repertoire before going on stage, especially as they'd have time to plan things if Carl failed to arrive on time. 
The group was booed heavily and 70 members of the audience demanded refunds. Another reporter said, they seemed at a complete loss, like some amateur group stuck with stage fright at the local talent contest. Carl arrived in a mad dash at 11 p.m. and they were able to start the second show, just 30 minutes behind schedule. He was still in a t-shirt and trousers as he sung God Only Knows. The crowd cheered, we love you, Carl. And Mike in turn said, we love you, Carl. I think everyone shared that genuine sentiment. The rest of the tour would have its share of difficulties, but one highlight was the NME annual poll winners concert in London, where they were presented the award for best group in the world in front of 10,000 screaming fans. Later that night, they joined Ringo Starr, Spencer Davis, Brian Jones, and the Moody Blues to watch the Jimi Hendrix experience at London's Seville Theater. The overall response of their UK audience was mixed at best. It was during this trip, Derek Taylor proclaimed a Smile album officially scrapped. It had been many months since their smash hit, Good Vibrations, and with no sign of heroes and villains, their record label decided to release Then I Kissed Her, a song from two years prior, as a stopgap single. Mike Love said, The record company didn't even have the decency to put out one of Brian's own compositions. The reason for the holdup with a new single has simply been that we wanted to give our public the best, and the best isn't ready yet. DJ and TV host Jonathan King wrote, They came and went in their blonde, suntan 1966 health image, surfing refugees from the glorious Golden State. They came with a brilliant image on the crest of a wave of genius records and a lately successful tour. But at this time, they were not conquering heroes. The indecision and temperament that led to the release of an inferior record after months of pregnant suspense had destroyed the magic. Three quarters of the country were unaware of their presence. The ballerina genius behind them tripping a married tarantula on a sandbox in Hollywood has allowed a monumental gap to grow between the recording studios and the wooden stages of the world. Wax wizard Brian Wilson may still be here, but it has to be said in this country, the Beach Boys are finished. This tour and this record were the decline. Will the Beach Boys ever play to a capacity British audience again? I leave you to decide. Very sad. After the final show of the tour, Bruce did not return to the States with the rest of the group. He flew to Spain for a vacation before stopping off in London in June. He told NME, They never telephone me, but then I suppose we have very little in common. They're all married and have their own circle of friends, and I have mine. They do ask me around to dinner occasionally, but I seldom manage to make it. All right, let's bring in the crew. Will Crera and John Brody, how are you today? Hey. Pretty good? No bad. Well, we're here in 1967. We've trudged through the smile sessions as thoroughly as possible it's time now to take it down a notch um i just kind of wanted to say that like we've been looking forward to this since pretty much the start because smile is fun and uh it's the reason we got brought into this in the first place because we'd be we'd be kind of useful for it but it's also really kind of heavy to get through and it can feel kind of dry sometimes because it's great to talk about the music which is obviously brilliant but there are so many you know so much detail and so many myths to kind of try and bust if you come across them and there's just a lot it's a lot of information to kind of absorb and to get across so we've i think been looking forward to talking about this stuff for since we started um right um to me smiley smile is the most misunderstood beach boys album mm. probably one of the most misunderstood albums in general people get i think a very wrong idea about how it came about and how it was made um but it's one of my favorites i'd say it's probably my second favorite beach boys album after pet sounds just as a as like a whole unit it's just so satisfying to listen to which i yeah. don't really get from smile i love smile of course but that that's that's not its fault because it's unfinished but this i've just been looking forward to so much 
it's I think to all of us it's kind of equal. You know, it's not it's not lesser. It's not kind of a compensation. It's not like a footnote, which is the way a lot of authors tend to treat it at the end of it. Right. It's equal in stature, a smile. I think to us, and we want to try and get that across. I think one of the things that makes this album misunderstood is the lack of attention that it gets, the lack of respect that it gets. I think people have written off this period of time as um, less creative or Brian being less dynamic, as Mike said, uh, and and kind of taking a back seat. Yeah, which just isn't true. To so. what was going on in the studio. And uh, you even hear that from people like, you know, Hal Blaine and, and Mike Love, obviously. And I think that the timeline gets a little fuzzy as to, you know, them moving into the home studio and Brian disappearing into his bedroom, which doesn't happen for a few years. And there are some books that, you know, do give you a little bit more context. But one of the reasons that I'm excited to talk about this is because it doesn't get talked about. Like, pet sounds or smile yeah yeah. and like you guys said in the last episode it deserves just as much attention and reverence as you know the greatest of beach boy songs and and albums exactly yeah for sure i mean documentaries and and books like you said just kind of tend to pass it over it's a little bit more respected these days but there are still it's still not very explored even if people tend to look at it a little bit more kind of favorably than they did. Sunshine mm-hmm. Sunshine Tomorrow definitely helped with that, but the focus yeah. was still Wild Honey, so, you know. Part of what we've done for this is kind of, for the first time, I think anybody's really tried to go through every single track recorded for Smiley Smile, every single piece of music, and go through and figure out all of the instruments and who's playing what, as far as we can find out that, and who's singing what vocal part, and exactly how all of the tracks are put together, and that's part of what we want to talk about here, but I think before that, we want to just kind of talk about how we got to smiley smile and how this even happened in the first place and why it happened and what it is so um should i go from there we you know did it in three weeks we had about six months before that we were doing different things but we jumped ended up doing the whole thing here at the house with a sort of an entirely different mood and approach than we originally started out you know Something for me that's, I think, kind of forgotten about the way people talk about why Smile was scrapped, like, you know, was it Mike? Was it Van Dyke leaving? Was it the lawsuit? Was it just Brian's mental health? It's this thing, he was like a 24-year-old guy going on 25 when he did this. And I think that kind of gets lost in all the discussion about how all of this kind of folded in on itself, because these, these were just some insanely young people kind of winging it, really. You know, Brian was 24 years old and it was kind of a miracle that he'd been sustaining this much creativity with kind of undiagnosed mental health issues for this for this long, you know, like he'd been making non-stop music since the end of 1961 to the first half of 67, he'd been locked into this constant production kind of race in the studio and he didn't really have a break from it ever and it's, uh, I think the outlier really is, you know, the exception is that he managed to keep it going for this long without anything kind of falling down until this point. Because um, it's quite normal to scrap creative projects when you, you know, big creative projects that you try and take on are maybe a little bit too ambitious. Like I've, I've done a lot. I've tried to make films and, you know, things that have just kind of got nowhere. And it kind of, it's difficult when you have to let something like that go because it just kind of overwhelms you. But they don't say that I've had like a psychiatric breakdown. So that's, Kind of, you know, on a, on a sort of simpler, more human level, that's what happened here. And there are different kind of levels to it. One of them, I think, is definitely the fact that he was past a deadline. Like, if you think about that, he was supposed to deliver this album for Christmas and then for mid-January. And here he is in, like, you know, April after this lawsuit. And it's three months and, you know, four months since he'd supposed to have had this album in. And then by, what, like June? It's, you know, imagine you can't go back to a project after that long after you've you've kind of missed the mark by that much. It's just too much to. It weighs on you too much to go and try and get back to where you were. Why wasn't it released in its original form? Because it was just too much. It was, you know, the group couldn't handle it at that time. We didn't have the energy, and we just uh, it just became too much of a of a of a hassle in the scene. 
It's kind of you mean to finish it on the scale you'd started it? Yeah, it just didn't w- turn out. You know, it just became too much, and so we didn't do it. Yeah, so so on kind of a granular level, the way the way that we've been talking about Smile and kind of analyzing it through all these nine episodes is we can kind of say that we understand how the project unfolded and happened in quite sort of normal terms when you really sort of break down the working process. But when you zoom out there, obviously there are kind of physical signs that this was a difficult, unusual kind of time for the Beach Boys. You know, cancelled sessions, missing tapes that we just don't know anything about, and Brian re-recording the same things over and over again. You know, it just didn't happen for other albums. Um, So something was off, but it's not this huge, big Greek tragedy. Like, it's not big dramatic well there's no one moment where brian went right the album's dead and you know he was kind of shattered psychologically it was just these are real things that happen to real people and it sort of naturally kind of wilted away because of other things happening in their lives you know the original vision was lost and van dyke was gone and it's not something he could naturally get back to and there was the lawsuit in the drafts would be enough to if any other man's history pretty much 1967 would be big lawsuit with capital and then the draft thing with carl like you know his brother and bandmate was going to get drafted to vietnam um and that would mess anyone up you know you can't create when that's happening uh but he did anyway still to an extent and i think carl said that he wasn't really bothered by it you know but it messed everybody else up the fact that carl was like being arrested by the fbi and you know all these tour problems um and there's everything else, like, you know, Brian's social circle that he'd suddenly built up was kind of collapsing around him. Brian and Marilyn moved to a new house, and Dennis was getting divorced, and Murray was, like, wiretapping him or whatever, um, <laughs> hiring a private investigator. And there's all the drug stuff and the effects, you know, Brian was obviously using amphetamines a lot that kind of kept him wired and paranoid. But less so the effects I'm talking about, I'm more talking about the fact that there, were, there was drama within the group about that, and Bruce even kind of left the studio because of that. Um... And there was a Monterey Pop thing where the live act was getting sort of, you know, they were getting slated in the press for not sounding like they did in the studio and they had to somehow get it together for this Monterey thing that they hadn't even thought about rehearsing for. And by the end of it, everyone was kind of just wiped out. It wasn't a happy time. It was a difficult time for all sorts of reasons outside of the music, which in itself was already kind of kind of a difficult part of it. So outside of all that, like, he gets to the end of all this. And Brian wasn't even still scrapping Smile. You know, there is... The idea was... You know, I'm going to set this aside, but maybe I can come back to it at some point. It wasn't a definitive plan, but it wasn't kind of, this is all dead and I'm going to do something else and just, you know, go to bed for seven years at the same time. It was, it was just put it to one side and try and get into something new. Well, we pulled out of that production uh, pace merely because I was about ready to die. Right. You know, I was trying so hard. And uh, so all of a sudden, I just decided not to try anymore, you know and not try to do such great things, you know, such big musical things, right. you know, all of a sudden. And we, did, we had so much fun. The Smiley Smile era was so great. You know, it was such a, it was unbelievable. Personally, spiritually, everything. We touched on this before, but it's pretty amazing at how fast this band was releasing records and how fast Brian was writing songs and producing. And, uh, it's been so long since they put out pet sounds. Yeah, it's crazy. From surfing to cabinescence is about four and a half years. And some artists nowadays will like produce one album in that time. But Brian was no- basically working nonstop um, that entire period of time, whether it was writing or touring or performing, recording. Um, and that kind of like growth that that rate is just not sustainable you can't expect someone to continue to build on their past projects in the same way uh forever no definitely not so you know whatever the case something like scrapping a a large-scale project was eventually going to happen i think i think that's just kind of an inevitability with this this kind of rate that he was moving yeah, and this, the thing is as well, after that, he still kind of kept going at that same rate. Like, the amount of music he made in the next year was incredible. The amount of, it's like sort of three ne- three eras after this, almost. Yeah. And, until he kind of finally stopped for the first time in the second half of 68, which is the first time after, from beginning the Beach Boys, basically, that he kind of took a step back and took a few months off. But even this right, didn't get in the because, way of that. Yeah, he didn't, it's not like a lot of documentaries and 
Beach Boys authors say that he just kind of stopped at this time and gave up because you know we're going to talk about this more in detail but Smiley Smile Wild Honey and Friends are all his albums hmm. um, so he's he's still making music despite everything that's happening but it's music that's easier to make and um, less stressful more satisfying probably to him mentally yeah less competitive I think he had a lot more support from his brothers and his bandmates on this stuff I think it was a better environment for him being at home and having everyone around and having less outsiders in the house and in the studio I mean it just felt more comfortable to him yeah because there's there's a very strange and tense dynamic that was happening throughout smile where he had all these all these friends that he spent a lot of time with and he wasn't really talking much with the Beach Boys about what he wanted to do and they were just confused all the time and so there was some disconnect there yeah um, and that was definitely a huge problem during smile but that's no longer a problem here because despite Brian still being the producer and being in charge of everything and writing everything there's a more collaborative spirit between them yeah the way that it was before about before pet sounds pretty much you know or even just before smile before this that sort of new social group opened up right right the music doesn't return to what he was doing before smile but the dynamic does and probably how the group felt about the music did well they felt excluded i mean at least obviously mike did oh mike Um, especially yeah i mean they really did fuck with the formula for a little (laughs) while and um, they got back to it somewhat, um, although not indicated in the charts. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, they, they were a group again. I mean, they were able to create music together. And um, I think, you know, just like you can tell from the smile sessions, like the vocal sessions and stuff, like they had a really good time doing this stuff. I mean, they, they genuinely enjoyed it. Well, yeah, it's what Bruce said, is you don't sing that well together if you're mad about it or you hate the song, you know? Yeah. So no matter, you know, five minutes of like a vocal session outside of months and months of these people kind of interacting with each other isn't a very good indication of that. But once they did record that they they were kind of, they did get it together whenever they recorded at this point. We talked about Mike feeling excluded. Carl was kind of pissed off by all the, you know, the Derek Taylor, Brian is the Beach Boys kind of thing that was happening for about a year. And that really, that really mm. got to him. And I think it was kind of an olive branch to him as well to invite him into the process a little bit more. So what about the misconceptions? Like that this was a simplified version of Smile... And this is what happens when you take away the wrecking crew. And this was something that they were making because they could actually play the songs. And uh, it was a compromise. You know, It goes back to what Smile is at the same time. Because there's another misconception here that Smile is kind of a sequel, like an expansion of Pet Sounds. And yeah. I've heard Brian's friends describe it that way. You know, this is an expansion. It's Pet Sounds one step more. But it's not. Smile is something very very different from pet sounds even just the way that he was writing it but pet sounds is all pet sounds can be you can't out pet sounds pet sounds you know if you were to add more things to the arrangement the comparison that i've written down on the notes is it would become song cycle by van dyke parks which is also good but it's not brian wilson music so the move was to get you know it was to do something else and the move that brian decided to go into was to get dynamic with things there's a 66 interview where he talks about let's go away for a while where he discusses the dynamics he put into it and that's really the word for i think the word for smile you know he keeps these sort of pet soundsy type arrangements but puts them against minimalism so you can get from heroes and villains is like this specter sort of not full-size specter but kind of a miniature specter galloping sort of verse and then it'll drop down into just just vocals or just a piano and vocals and then cabin essence is this folky sound that then explodes into a big train and you know the end of the world with the with the crows and all that and good vibrations changes its kind of texture between sections and vegetables can go from it sounds like it's in someone's kitchen and it's kind of falling apart to this elaborate wrecking crew kind of fade so that's what 
the difference between Pat Sounds and Smile is, and there's also this emphasis on the human voice, and, and the voice has become part of the arrangements more than they were now. It's not just backing vocals. Instruments and vocals are all kind of one art, which Brian also talked about at the time. But the thing about Smiley Smile is kind of looking at that minimalism and saying, how far can you take it? And can this minimalism stand on its own terms as a way to make music? You know, can vegetables just be one bass, you know, one note on a bass and everyone singing the same line together in the living room? And then instead of that dynamic part being from an edit into kind of a wrecking crew kind of wall of sound thing, it's just that one line breaking off into a harmony with the group. And it's like, you know, when you think about if you're Brian Wilson and you're the first person to come up with that challenge to yourself, you're going to do it because it's brilliant. Like, why would you not try and do that? It's such an interesting new sort of stimulating way to take his music. And then like, you know, in that song specifically, that kind of big gear shift ending that used to be this big wrecking crew orchestration thing at the end is now just the verse from the original Smile version. Like, that's the contrast now, which I think is brilliant. But it was also a chance to get just to get into something completely new after being trapped in this kind of pro studio system since 61 to 67 you know now he's in the house and it's you know his family's there and you go downstairs and there's the studio and there's wires all over the place and there's the kitchen and there's the den with the pool table and the dogs you know it's good and there's a pool at the back it's just a new like kind of invigorating atmosphere he needed something to kind of refresh himself Here's Brian's friend and session drummer, Hal Blaine. I think he did lose his mind for a while, you know, because we moved up to his house. They took a beautiful den and put a board over the fireplace that was magnificent. Up on the second story, they kind of cut out a little hole so they could talk to the band and we would record. But who was producing was Mike Love and the rest of the guys, and it wasn't Brian, and it wasn't the same. That kind of brings us to another misconception about the album. Um, <laughs> cue the love and mercy quote again. <sighs> that it was put together last minute by the Beach Boys, which is everyone else but Brian. And that is completely untrue. So not because true, Because yeah. I think that kind of stems from this album was released with produced by the Beach Boys on it and every single album before this all the way going back to 63 said produced by Brian Wilson um, but all the Beach Boys since have said no Brian produced the album I don't know why he wrote produced by the Beach Boys on it yeah Brian said but, he produced it like <laughs> yeah you know Brian said he produced it Bruce said Brian produced it Carl and Al said Brian produced it but was Brian still the producer of Smiley Smile. Dennis said he produced it and he didn't know why that credit was there, but I think it's just Brian trying to alleviate the pressure from himself once and trying to invite the others into the process a little bit more. Right. He doesn't, right. He doesn't want to be Derek Taylor's Brian Wilson the genius anymore. He doesn't want to be that guy in the spotlight. So really, it should read produced by Brian Wilson, but he was probably feeling collaborative and generous and gave it that credit. I mean, you can take from it what you will, but I mean, the music speaks for itself. Exactly. It's obviously a Brian Wilson album. Yeah, the session tapes, if you listen to it, where Brian is producing everything, which is the, the material thing where there's like, you know, it's there. It's no different to anything that he's ever made before when you hear him on these tapes. Yeah, and then another part of that, that myth is that it was put together at the last second, but this stuff was produced over about two months, and it was recorded in a similar way to Smile, which is in sections. The only the only difference is like when he recorded that stuff for Smile. A lot of the times he recorded it before knowing what the words were going to be or how it was going to be pieced together. But in this case, uh, for the most part, he's written everything out and he's got it all planned. So all he really needed to do was record, and he was good at that. He could do it fast, and it it he didn't really allow himself to record first and then say oh but what if i put this here um maybe i'll get some friends to convince me to put this part of this song into this song because he he had it all planned out which is yeah which it was productive this is the thing like it's the sessions happened between you know the start of june and really kind of the first half of july so just over a month but within that yeah. it's a lot of work it's a lot of consistent session by session you know they're just going on and going forward it's not like 
hesitating like it wasn't smile. And that brings us to kind of the other thing, which is this isn't like a consolation kind of thrown together at the last minute replacement album for Smile. It's kind of a creative rebirth for Brian. Like he gets back into it. it he's been flagging all these months and kind of bogged down by all these other problems and having doubts about his music. And now he's really re-energized again. He's not, he wasn't unhappy making this. It's a quote from Brian where he talks about how great this experience was and how kind of, it kind of just brought him back up again. It really kind of it brought him back from the brink of wherever he was. This was a fun, creative album to make, and it wasn't like Brian miserable doing it, you know, as a replacement at the last minute, throwing it together. This was his new thing, and he got excited about it, and he was really, you know, he bounced back. This is the start of the second major phase of his career. I've read a lot of places that after Smile, that Brian went back to making simplistic music. But, I mean, like... (laughs) When I read that stuff, it kind of blows my mind that I'm listening to the same music as people who write this stuff because yeah, this is weird music and it's it's not similar to this is really strange anything that they'd done before, um, less so than Smile even. I mean, this you can't tell me that Fall Breaks and Back to Winter sounds anything like Surfer Girl or I Get Around. So there was no going back to the formula. I don't think there was really a musical formula at all. Yeah, uh, maybe lyrically, but. Yeah, also just the creativity here. With Smile, he had access to a bunch of different pro studios that he used and any musician he wanted. So he got large string sections, horn sections, got a lot of different strange sounds out of some strange instruments. Um, but here he's kind of limiting himself. He's put he's He has these self-imposed restrictions kind of where he's recording everything on his piano his organ, his bass, and yeah. occasionally a guitar or some found percussion. And I think it's pretty incredible how many different sounds and moods he can get out of just that and vocals. And that's why I think the vocals here um, are so good because I think that the group has never sounded as good as they do on Smiley Smile, just their harmonies. Yeah, definitely. You know, he was putting as much thought into the arrangements as he was on Smile, but the the ratio, he's not thinking mainly about the instruments. He's thinking almost entirely about the vocals because the um, the arrangements are so stripped back. And uh, that's another thing. Like, this isn't a simplified version of Smile. Um, some of these songs actually are more complicated than the Smile versions. He's actually complicating them by adding all these new chords. Um, really the only thing that's simplified is the arrangements but I would just call them stripped back arrangements I think I that's the word that people should be using yeah, yeah just different I mean, that's all they are yeah it's it's different there's really nothing simple about some of these things and we'll get into detail about how they recorded this stuff but yeah I think that's just another huge misconception about the album yeah, and the other thing about this that I think people have started to catch on to a little bit more about in recent years is the whole Back to Basics movement. That, you know, 68, the Beatles come out with Lady Madonna and, you know, all of that thing starts happening where they start to, the, the sort of eccentric, you know, big production psychedelia is sort of becomes a little bit passe and everybody's new thing is kind of get back to basics, get back to your roots of simple, right. simple organic music. And that's what Brian did here. And I think more and more people since Sunshine Tomorrow are starting to come onto that fact with This and Wild Honey but Brian really was one of the first to do it uh, it's just that nobody was ready for it and nobody realised it at the time but this is yeah it's being organic it's just it's recording in a living room with the minimal amount of instrumentation it's not being pretentious with the not that it was pretentious in the first place but it's now so kind of real and honest in the way that he's doing it and the thing that I always come back to with this is the end of Surf's Up where he's talking about you know, get back to the beach, get back to childhood, get back to simplicity, and uh, forget the whole pretentiousness of of where we've been musically for the past few years. And that's what Brian did for the next few years, from 67, really onwards for the next few years. He was doing what he set out at the end of Surf's Up, or rather what Van Dyke set out, but I'm sure they talked about it a bit because Brian could recite the meaning of the song. Um, it's kind of like he set out kind of a mission statement for himself. And the whole problem was in 67, People heard Pet Sounds in May 66, and then Good Vibrations, and then months and months went by with nothing. And then they got this, and it's like, well, what the hell is this? You know, there's no context for it. There's no frame of reference for what he's trying to do. But there's a missing chapter. 
we just smile. But we live in the year 2021, so we don't need to care about that anymore. We can just enjoy it. Right, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I saw it because I tried to check out this album before 2011 um, because I had grown up with Pet Sounds and some greatest hits. And I thought, oh, okay, the next album after Pet Sounds, and it's got good vibrations and heroes and villains on it, which I love. Um, and then I, I think I turned it off like immediately because <laughs> I was like, this is weird. But, and it's because it, it doesn't make sense. And that's how people saw it in the sixties as well. Um, after such a long period of time between albums with best of the beach boys, volumes one and two coming in between, then all of a sudden you get this. Um, so you really need to know what happened in order to kind of understand the music. And that's why I wasn't successful, but hopefully it'll be you know treated that way now because people have heard the smile sessions and they understand how the sessions transitioned into this separate project well let's not speculate let's get some first-hand accounts hey wyatt how you doing i thought i'd give you just a little background on my my me and smiley smile that's steve bonilla good friend and contributor to the podcast so i i bought it when it came out and I was 13. I had been living with Pet Sounds for a while. I'd played it enough times that the very inner grooves of both sides of the album were starting to turn white. And the same thing would eventually happen to my Smiley album. Um, I had a subscription to Teen Set, which was uh, Capitol Records uh, magazine, and Derek Taylor wrote for them. I had been reading about Smile, and I was waiting for it. Uh, but I knew right away that uh, Smiley w was not Smile. I was perplexed by it at first, by the sparse instrumentation. Um, but I readily accepted the songs and the sound. I perceived them to be a little old-timey in spots, but definitely trippy. Since Pet Sounds, I had bought two Mothers of Invention albums, Sgt. Pepper, The Doors, Blonde on Blonde, Paul Butterfield's East West record, Country Joe's first album, Are You Experienced, uh, uh, a Ravi Shankar album. Also, when Smiley came out, I was just then starting to buy jazz records. Um, Gabor Zabo and the Brazilian guitarist Bolasete was were my first two jazz records. Uh, thanks to Frank Zappa, the 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 weird juxtapositions and interpolations and abrupt edits did, didn't seem out of place to me. Um, I thought they were funny and trippy. I, so for me, I can still put myself in a world before Smile. So I, thinking about this album, I, I, I didn't think too much about the anchor songs, which, you know, would be Good Vibrations and Heroes and Villains. I was thinking about the other nine, and what I see was, some, I see some standout features that, uh, about, that Smiley has. Um, one would be the use of Brian's, uh, Brian's use of humor. Um, some of it was the type Brian had been doing all along. But he, on Smiley Smile, he introduced a sense of trippiness and absurdity to things, sometimes silly or weird. Um, you know, and that's a, th that's a thread, you know, throughout Brian's, what we know about Brian, you know, even his Wallensack recordings. You know, that's all, th and through the Beach Boy records, there's a, there's a thread of humor. Um, also on Smiley, Brian, introduces, really infuses things, at least on four songs, with elements of rhythm and blues, melodic snatches, doo-wop words, um, and sometimes in abstract ways. Um, he was also experimenting with song structure, uh, something as minimal as a four-bar section just repeated. Uh, there, were, there was a simple two-part song uh, you you know of course you had the more complex things which were the the two anchor songs um, 
But others might have sections with no repeats except for a loop chorus f tag fade. Um, there were parts that veered off the road, so to speak. You, I, I, you could call them bridges or musical drama or an interlude or breaks. I call them, for this album, I call them side trips to stay in the spirit of 67. And the, the, there are four songs where that, that really happens, where they just, they're just off on uh, something, something kicks in and they just go off, but, but they do come back. I think also that's, uh, that Brian continued his expansion of vocal expressiveness, uh, you know, especially in the, in the, the group vocals, just experimental vocal techniques, just expanding things. And uh, it might be the most, the most diverse album of theirs vocally, as far as uh, techniques. Um, but, you know, now today I appreciate Smiley f for its innovations, for its minimalism, for its humor. Um, and it's a psychedelic record. Wyatt. Hey, Dad. What's up? Uh, it's kind of cold and rainy, like 42, 40, something like that. How about you guys? Yeah, it's cold. It's yeah. probably 32, 33, right around freezing. Yikes. How'd the vaccine go? Is it easy? It went pretty easy because uh, it didn't take us that long, and it was well organized. It was raining, mm -hmm. but it went through this big, giant horse barn, and it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess, uh, uh, National Guard, Air Force National Guard. Mm -hmm. They were all very organized, really great people, appreciated our government when it works. And, right. Um, and it was, it was, it only took maybe you know, 45 minutes. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was good. And nice. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, uh, I just wondered if you remember um, hearing about Smile and then maybe when Heroes and Villains came out, like what that was like. And then did you know that there was a Smiley Smile album? Did you buy it when it came out? Mm -hmm. You know, any of that, like, what was it like? being a Beach Boys fan at that point. Yeah, I'd love to love to talk about that. And you you mean off the record or on You're the You're on the record right now. All right. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, just some sort of first-hand experience cuz that's just so hard to figure out like what were people thinking when they when they heard about Smile or maybe right. saw that Leonard Bernstein special or whatever, you know, and just saw, you know, heard all the Derek Taylor blurbs and magazines and Yeah, and in 1967 I was 14 and 15 and was in a rock band and uh, you know, loved the Beach Boys and loved the Beatles and all kinds of changes were happening in music. Mm -hmm. And of course, Brian Wilson was called, you know, was being beginning to be called, you know, such a genius after Pet Sounds and all of these rumors about uh making smile which would be you know the amazing record maybe the greatest ever made and the beatles and were watching and you know i was changing my my mind was changing my body was changing at that age and so right i was um looking in many directions looking at girls looking at music trying to figure out where what to do and where to go and you know certainly looking to music as places where you could find answers and and pet sound was so emotional in 66 so we're waiting for all this stuff and what happens is you hear it's going to come out i'm reading in rolling stone and a number of little magazines hit parader and mm -hmm. who knows what i could get my hands on in 67 spring then the beatles sergeant peppers came out so i just remember it kind of eclipsed all your other thoughts it was so important and so um wonderful and complex it was a great feast and for the ears and the mind and so you knew that, say, what's Brian doing? What's going to happen? And you, you, you wouldn't hear too much. But then when Smiley came out, Smiley Smile came out, instead of Smile, that summer when I became 15, you know, our band changed from Beatles, Beach Boys, and fun pop stuff into more heavy stuff. Jimi Hendrix, our right. experience came out. All these kind of serious, intense, grown-up, crazy psychedelic albums came out um, that were complex. And so we're just waiting for that. But then... It didn't come out. So in summer, I guess they were recording Smiley Smile. It came out 
in the fall of 67. Yeah. And I don't know that I ran or initially bought it, but I did buy it. And Honey, Wild Honey came out soon after that, I guess. So, mm-hmm. so strange. And, and as I called, you know, Sergeant Pepper's a kind of a feast, this was like a salad. And, yeah. you know, I mean, after after a life you look back and you say golly a salad would have been nice then things were crazy yeah and and since then you know as i first listened to it yeah i was disappointed after hearing good vibrations and then Mm. everything else seemed to be kind of thin and um impromptu and um sometimes in some ways improvised and not that many instruments and you know funny sometimes but not what i thought the serious smile would deliver to answer big questions it was just you know it seemed to be a lot of fun but i didn't put it on as much as sergeant peppers yeah i mean do you remember heroes and villains coming out or being on the radio in the summer you know, i i i had I, I don't think it got played that yeah. much i don't know what except in maybe england it just wasn't yeah. that big a hit and i found that uh it was kind of muddled it was it yeah. was complicated and i couldn't remember the 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 hook i guess or or the 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 melody it was kind of strange it it even though it was a part of smile and you know i later realized it's just a fantastic song um i i i just don't know even that the company i guess it was capital was pushing their stuff anymore didn't know how to you know they were they had changed so much and didn't know if they believed or or halfway believed and the ads and everything that came out were odd it, you know it's like do they know what they're um, um, communicating about so it, it somehow was just uh, something something that not relevant not so relevant at that time when people were kind of putting out their great manifestos and I said is this mm-hmm. really what Brian is like and of course you knew they were doing drugs from some of the underground magazines things like that so as he flipped his wig what's happened and so it, it was a t- total turnaround and since then people have realized that it's just a great fun album that's just really light yeah. instead of heavy and um i love it i love it yeah. now but it's taken me i'm you know i'm 15 and 67 it's taken me 10 20 50 years <laughs> yeah. to figure how good it is right. i remember listening re-listening in college in 1970 71 early 70s especially with my good friend clayton bass that um all of that started to make sense again it started to be really pretty and i was open to pretty and melodic and fun and so it's just taken a long time and and i think it's sold a lot more (laughs) since then than in that initial year it was certainly not a big hit record and a lot of critics panned it even even melody maker in Mm -hmm. england Yep. I love the cover. I love the uh, pseudo Henri Rousseau yeah. jungle scene on the cover. No Beach Boys to be seen. Unless, and, um, but unless you consider that there's five animals on the cover. Oh, I never mm-hmm. thought about that. Well, there's an elephant. <laughs> I've I been guess. thinking about that, and I might, I'm going to save it for the next episode. But um, Wow. Or That's maybe a cool. couple episodes from now. But I don't know. I don't think there's anything to it. I don't think they had a lot of art direction on that. I think I think the label commissioned that artwork. Um yeah. Roughly based on the smile artwork, because the the smile, the smile shop turned more into like the smiley smile cabin, and there's still like the smiling <laughs> mouth on it. Oh yeah, on the um, cabin, just yeah, way far off in the woods. Yeah. But yeah, in it's interesting because it it does feel like I mean the it does feel like they're in this cabin making this record. You know, it's very intimate. <laughs> yeah, in this little uh, uh, hideaway, as opposed to right, right. way out on the big sergeant, you know, Billy Shears stage in front of a million people, and this is going to change your life. Yeah. You know, maybe Brian got tired of the pressure of, you have to change our lives. You are a genius. He did. Right. You see all of this sort of Baroque, complex, semi-classical music coming out trying to out experiment everybody else every other band in 67 68 and so on and but on the other hand smiley smile represented a whole nother movement towards this Mm -hmm. lighter kind of almost like lounge type right softer and um you know kind of cooling it and uh, maybe that's you know you see that as really a tremendous really influential yeah direction much less loaded with apprehension and and all that it's just uh often kind of spontaneous like um we're having fun i don't care if it's recorded or not but might as well you know and that's kind of a privilege to listen in on that stuff yeah definitely cool i just wanted to get that little bit of 
um, perspective. Kind of like talking about Smile for you and trying to, to produce all that stuff and put it together is similar to getting the feeling like, when are we ever going to be I through I know, trust Smile? me. It's you like, know, there's I so many it, parallels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this stuff is so much easier to talk about because it's actually finished and there's not nearly as many pieces and recordings and it's a lot wow. easier to look at the big picture and just talk about it but i was reading some as like a farmer went and planted seeds and and worked real hard on it but whether he got up or or, or stayed in bed they grew okay so he just right. let it go he's instead of being trying to overmanage that and dig him up and see what's going on so and i think there's i think goodness good music good art good vibes want to come out sometimes mm. we push so hard but we just need to kind of let sit back and let it let it come out maybe it's maybe yeah. it could be a little bit more natural sometimes and so um like our relationship i love you wyatt it's love great. you too appreciate it thanks dad yeah thanks for coming on last second and do this that's awesome um <laughs> all right and i'm okay. pumped to see you guys get that second uh, vaccine early march we yeah. hopefully come see you guys mandy will have her second one by then too so <sighs> Hopefully, I'm come so see glad. you guys soon after that. But I'm absolutely, we relieved. We will. All right, we will do it. We will do it. Okay. All right. Love you, Dad. Right. Talk Love to you. you soon. Thanks, Wyatt. Bye. Bye. Here's Brian Wilson from his recent autobiography. When we put Smile away, Capital was still on us for a next record. The record that came out of it, Smiley Smile, was a different type of thing completely. The story has been told so often about me completely bailing out from the Beach Boys after I junked Smile and just cutting out to my room, but no way is that true at all. Smiley Smile is the first and best piece of evidence. My instinct told me it was time to get the other guys involved in some of the production work. I leaned on Carl for most of it. He had been working with me in the booth here and there, especially during the Beach Boys party sessions. For starters, we pared down some of the tracks I did for Smile and recut them ourselves without the Wrecking Crew guys. We used only a few pieces. The backing track from Heroes and Villains came along with us and also the end of Vegetables. We took Good Vibrations, which was already a huge hit and needed an album to be on. But other than that, it was all new. We went back into the home studio in Bel Air and cut the album in a month and a half. The studio wasn't quite ready yet. I had it set up to make demos. So to get certain effects, we had to do so many different things. We recorded vocals in the swimming pool. We recorded them in the shower. We got incredible effects with nothing fancy at all. That was amazing. Carl called it a bunt instead of a grand slam, but it had some incredible things on it. And the sound is as interesting as the songs. I had a white Baldwin organ that was just fantastic. I don't know where that is. It might be in storage, but that's the kind of thing I would like to try again, to go for those low organ notes. They did great things to heroes and villains, kept it warm. I used the other guys to make the record more than any time since Beach Boys Party, especially Carl. For the first time, an album came out with the credit produced by the Beach Boys. We will take a deep dive into the sessions at Brian's home studio for the Smiley Smile album next time. Until then, thank you guys for joining me. If you are interested in supporting the show, please check out our Patreon page www.patreon.com slash sale on big shout out to our newest members Dan Ricketts Connor Kelly Billy Kilgannon and Chuck Bernice you guys are keeping the train on the tracks thank you so much also thanks to Steve Bonilla Brent Funderburg Will C Matt Thompson John Brody and Will Crera I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day stay safe and we will be together again soon. Love and mercy, and sail on, sailors.
wrecking crew. It's a very light album, but it's kind of fun to listen to. And uh, wind chimes? Police. <laughs>